To understand the role the temple plays in our life, we have to understand the purpose of this life and our journey through it. We dwelt with a loving Heavenly Father and a loving Heavenly Mother who want us to be happy. And the truth is, they're going to give us whatever makes us happy. I'm going to tell you a doctrine. Now, if you want me to, if we want to go back and book chapter and verse, we can book chapter and verse it till, till you're convinced. But I'm going to testify that Heavenly Father will give you whatever you want. I testify that those who go to the celestial kingdom are those who want to be celestial. If you want to be celestial, that's exactly where you'll go. If that's the life you desire, the kind of person you want to be, then that's exactly the kingdom you will find yourself in. But not all of Heavenly Father's children want to be celestial. Some of His children want to be terrestrial. Now, what would be the most cruel thing He could do to someone who wants to be terrestrial? Put them in the celestial kingdom. They would be miserable there. They would not be happy. And so a loving Heavenly Father says, I will provide whatever kingdom you want. You get what you want. And if you want to be celestial, you'll go to the celestial kingdom. If you don't want to be celestial, you'll go to whatever kingdom you want. So this life is a journey through those kingdoms for you to decide what kingdom you want to dwell in. So we left his presence and came to this earth. And what is this earth in its most raw form? From the day Adam and Eve fell, this earth has been a telestial planet. And by nature, we were given a telestial nature. When we were born, something inside of us was planted there that is telestial in its very nature. And that there's no way you'd have agency without it. Turn with me to 2 Nephi chapter 2, Father Lehi's great explanation of the plan of salvation. And the only way you have agency, verse 11, is if you have opposition. There has to be a force of good, and there has to be a force that is telestial. There has to be a force that's terrestrial. Now look at verse 16. Second Nephi chapter 2, verse 16. Someone read it. Okay. James, 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 16. Wherefore the Lord God gave unto man that he should act for himself. Wherefore, man could not act for himself, save it should be that he was enticed by one or the other. He can't have agency. We will never have agency unless we are enticed. Unless there's something inside of us that is an animal. You were born with a natural man enticing you. You were also born as a spirit. Righteousness and truth is as natural to you as anything else. Your spirit craves them, but the animal inside you craves the things of animals. You have a natural tendency to pride and lust and anger. And so there is this rage within you and you come down and your first 
You come down with an instinct to be telestial. Let's read a few more scriptures. Turn with me to um, Mosiah, the book of Mosiah. Verse chapter 16, this is Abinadi to the priests of Noah, who were very carnal, right? Very following their animal, pride and lust, and they were drunkards. And so Abinadi teaches them verse 3. Someone else read, Mosiah 16, 3. Please, Elder Lewis. Uh, for they are carnal and devilish, and the devil has power over them. Yea, even the, that old serpent that did beguile them, our first parents, which was the cause of their fall. Okay, now listen. Not just them. Now we speak of all of us, and the Book of Mormon says... Uh, which was the cause of all mankind becoming carnal, sensual, devilish, knowing evil from good, subjecting themselves to the devil. So as we come into this world, what is our start? What is our beginning? What is our nature? Carnal, sensual, devilish, telestial. One more scripture. Alma to his wayward son, Corianton. Alma chapter 42. Corianton gave in to the carnal, sensual part of him during his mission. And his dad is going to teach, Alma 42.10. Speaking of the fall and Adam and Eve and all of us that followed. Elora, would you mind? Alma 42.10. And it's that by nature. So I don't know about you, but I don't want, I don't like celestial things. Every time I ever do something celestial, I end up feeling rotten. I don't want to be celestial. I am learning that. I don't like celestial things. They don't make me happy. So Heavenly Father comes along and says, look, I need you to now make one transition. My invitation is for you to come above, come beyond the celestial, let go of the celestial, and become terrestrial. That is invitation number one. Now, that is what missionaries do. Missionaries go out into the mission field and say to the world, give up the celestial and be terrestrial. Come into an organization that is a terrestrial organization that, I don't, I don't want to mean it, I don't want to say it that way. Come into an organization whose members have kind of risen out of the celestial to become terrestrial. So I would submit to you that the ordinances that help us become terrestrial are chapel ordinances. If you focus on what we do in chapels, it all has to do with overcoming the natural man and becoming terrestrial. What's the very first ordinance we walk into in a chapel? Baptism. And what's the symbolism of baptism? It's not a washing. We are washed. But what is the symbolism of baptism? I heard it's sort of like a spiritual rebirth. So you go into water as if you're doing what? As if you're being buried. Being buried. What are you burying? What's the whole idea? You are burying the telestial. 
I am burying the animal inside me. Now, let's, let's take a look at an ancient temple because I want you to see that in our we separate chapel buildings and temple buildings so that we're going to separate these two ordinances. But in the Old Testament, they only had one building, right? And so they had to put all of this in the same building. So let me show you the Old Testament tabernacle. Here is the Old Testament tabernacle. Now, the idea is you come into the world and this outer courtyard represents the telestial. Your journey through the telestial into the terrestrial takes you past the altar of sacrifice and a laver of washing. So what were the symbols of coming into the terrestrial part of our lives? Giving up the animal, burning the animal on the altar and washing ourselves clean. And then we would go into this portion of the temple, which was called the holy place, which represents the terrestrial kingdom. Now, once we're in the terrestrial, there are some other objects that represent our journey into the celestial. But do you see the journey from celestial to terrestrial has to do with conquering this animal inside us. And so the first thing we did is we were baptized and we buried that animal. Now, did the Lord honestly expect the natural man to be dead after our baptism? Is that realistic? It's a lifeline pursuit, isn't it? So what do we do every single Sunday to recommit to kill the natural man? We take the sacrament. Now, when Jesus ended animal sacrifice, what did he replace it with? In the Book of Mormon, do you remember what he said? Uh, the spirit? Kind of. That's certainly related. But I am grateful we don't lay animals on altars anymore, aren't you? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but that, tell me that wouldn't have made an impression upon you. Imagine I took my 18-year-old daughter to the temple back in the Old Testament, and we took a lamb. Do you know how to offer an animal sacrifice in the Old Testament? Let me walk you through it. In fact, let's do it in the scriptures. Turn with me to, we can either do Leviticus 1 or Bible Dictionary. Let's do Bible Dictionary. But you'll find this in Leviticus 1. Turn with me to Bible Dictionary. Look up the word sacrifices. And then in the fourth paragraph, you'll see a numbered list. Go to that numbered list. Bible Dictionary, sacrifices, fourth paragraph, numbered list. So let me take my 18-year-old daughter with me to the temple. And we've brought a lamb. Now, step number one, what's step number one? Presentation, Presentation because this lamb has to represent whom? Christ. So what kind of lamb should we bring? The very best we've got. And so the priest is going to look at the lamb to make sure it's a worthy offering. So that's step number one. Now, this is where it gets bizarre for Latter-day Saints. What's step number two? My, not, that's three. Step number three, my daughter would do what? Lay her hands on the head of the lamb 
do, to do what? Why would she lay her head on the lamb? It's basically uh, to dedicate it as if it was Christ. So, yes, Christ, but keep going. Read that. Read number two. My daughter lays her hand on the lamb, dedicating it as a substitute for her. So the lamb not only represents Christ, but the lamb represents me, the animal in me. So it represents the animal I need to destroy. And everything we're going to do has that dual symbolism. So first the priest looks at it and says, yes, this is worthy of Christ. And then my daughter dedicates it as if it's the animal. That animal is all the pride inside her. That animal is everything that's ugly inside me. It's my anger. It's my unforgiving heart. That animal represents all the dishonesty, the lust, the anger. So she, she now dedicates the animal as if it's her. Now, number three. Do you just drop the animal off and you go home like you do your tithing envelope? No. What's step number three? The priest hands her the knife. Now, tell me what my 18-year-old would do as soon as the priest handed her a knife. Dad, why is he handing me a knife? Dad, what is the knife for? What is the knife for, Dad? And I would say, Hallie, you have to kill the lamb. Why? The lamb did nothing wrong. And then a father and a daughter would have a long discussion about why we have to kill the lamb when the lamb did nothing wrong. Do you think you'd remember that? And then we're going to have another discussion about what happens if that what happens if that animal doesn't die. What will that animal do if I don't kill it? It will kill me. If I don't control the natural man, then someday what will happen? The natural man will control me. And so I say to Hallie, we have to kill the animal in our family. Otherwise, the animal in our family will destroy our family. So which do you want? Do you want the animal to control you or do you want to control the animal? And so my 18-year-old daughter kills a lamb. Would you remember that? The next time the natural man wants you to yell and scream or steal something, would you remember killing the lamb? Now, number four, you sprinkle the blood on the altar. Again, dual symbolism. What's this symbolism? Why sprinkle the blood? As a reminder that his blood was sprinkled, right? Why sprinkle the blood? That's a long discussion. We'll save it for another day. But when Moses put them under covenant, he sprinkled blood on them as if to say, I, 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 I accept. I accept. I will take the covenant. But I think there's another symbol. Why am I putting the blood on the altar? Tell me what that altar represents. That altar represents the sacrifice of Christ, right? What did Jesus walk into Gethsemane wearing? 
What would you suppose he was wearing when he went to Gethsemane? What color? What color was he wearing? Don't you think Jesus wore white? I am positive he went into Gethsemane wearing white. What color did he walk out wearing? Now, I'm going to meet him in there. What color am I walking in with? What color am I wearing when I walk in to meet Jesus in Gethsemane? I'm wearing the red of my sins. He walked in wearing white. I walked in wearing red. And what's going to happen in there? I'm going to sprinkle my blood on him. And we're going to walk out. He's going to be wearing red, literally, right? And I'm going to walk out of Gethsemane wearing white. Do you see the symbolism of what we do with the lamb and sprinkling that blood on the altar? He is taking my telestialness so that I can walk out white. Now, that was, do you think you'd remember that? Sprinkling the blood? James? I just was thinking about it, like, in that, the symbolism of it, and it, that, like, blood was the most incriminating, like, if you had blood on your clothes, it was like, yep, you did it. You did it. And it was the worst of the sins. Yep. Like, thou shalt, before, like, before denying God, but it was, don't kill. And it was like, there was, it's the evidence. And he's taking the evidence and saying, he hey, is. it's me. Yep, and I'm walking out. And I'll, I'll accept. Sin-free. Now, number five is the key. Here's the key. What would you do fifth? What do you do to the animal? What makes the animal go away? How do you make the animal in you go away? Fire. What's fire a symbol of? We sing it all the time. The spirit of God like a fire is burning. We call, we call the confirmation the baptism of because what do you get? So it's really simple. How do you make the animal go away? You yield to the spirit. Light and spirit make the animal go away. The more you fill your life with light and spirit, the more the animal goes away. But the more you yield to the animal, what happens? Light and spirit go away. Do you see the wrestle in all of us? And then number six, they would take it home and eat it. Now that was then. Do you think my 18-year-old daughter, I wish we could do it one time. I admit, I wish I could take my family one time and offer an animal sacrifice because it would be the most horrible thing my family did. But I think they would remember. I think my family would remember laying that animal on the altar. But I'm grateful we don't do that. So what do we do instead? 3 Nephi 9, 19 and 20. Let's hear it from the Savior's lips. After he was the animal on the altar, he said no more animals on the altar. So 3 Nephi 19 is when he ends it, and 20 is what he replaces it with. Who will read? He's got it. He beat you. Sorry, Whitney. And ye shall offer up unto me no more the shedding of blood. Yea, your sacrifices and your burnt offerings shall be done away. Okay, so no more animals. And instead of animals, what do Latter-day Saints in 2023 offer instead of an animal? How do we continually in the chapel go from celestial to terrestrial? 
20. And you shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Okay, so the new sacrifice is a broken heart. How do you break your heart? What are you breaking when you break your heart? Now, do you see the symbolism? Every time we gather for the sacrament, what do we do to that bread? We break it. it. The bread is a symbol of my heart. So what does it mean to break my heart? Let me give you an analogy. We break horses. Now, sometimes that can be a cruel thing. I know people who do it in a very cruel manner and they should not do it. But sometimes we break horses and it's the best thing we could do because the horse is better off. I spent my childhood near a ranch and I would often help out at the ranch. And I'll never forget one time when a wild horse came in with a broken leg. Now, normally, what do we do with horses to horses with a broken leg? They, we put them down because they're going to run on their broken leg and it's going to cause them a lot more pain. And to save them, we usually put them down. But this rancher was convinced he could save this horse. Now, what's the first thing that has to happen? Long before we heal the leg on this horse, what's the first thing we have to do? We have to break the horse. What does that mean? Does that mean I break its spirit? Does a broken horse have no spirit? Oh, believe me, I've ridden plenty spirited horses that were broken. What do you break when you break the horse? Not its spirit, not its wheel. What do you break? You break that idea inside its head that what? What does a wild horse think? I am better on my own. I don't need you. I don't want you. You have nothing to offer me. I'm better on my own. Now, is that true? It is not true because this rancher was going to heal that leg and he can't heal the leg until the horse does what? Trusts him. So the first thing the horse has to break is that resistance to a loving master who wants to help him. Do you see why we break the bread in the sacrament? We are breaking our resistance now i let me give you a symbol of that the first thing the rancher is going to do is put a horse a a rope around the the horse right now tell me what that horse is going to do to that rope and that's probably the biggest symbol i could point out of the celestial person inside me the animal in me is doing what to god I don't trust you. I don't want to follow you. I don't believe you can help me. I'm better off on my own. That's the celestial animal inside me. And if I'm ever going to be healed by him, I have to stop resisting. Everyone in this room is resisting God in something. And when you take that sacrament, what you're promising is to break that resistance, to burn it, to lay it on an altar. That's why we perform the sacrament in chapels. Now, the Book of Mormon is full of symbolism, right? Can you name a group in the the Book of Mormon who symbolizes 
the breaking of their resistance. The anti-Nephi-Lehi's that did what? That weapon, the swords, was a symbol of what? In fact, I don't know if this is a typo, but if it is, it's a beautiful typo. Turn with me to Alma chapter 23, verse, I think it's 6 or 7. When they lay down their, their, their weapons, it is fascinating to me what the Book of Mormon says. So Alma chapter 23, verse 7. What did they lay down? Not the weapons of war. They laid down their weapons of rebellion. If you want a symbol of what the sacrament is, if you want a symbol of what we're supposed to do in the chapel, if you want to know what missionaries exist for, it's to invite people, living and dead, to lay down the weapon of their rebellion. Come into the church. Be baptized. Lay down the weapon of your rebellion. Everything God does. Lay down the weapon of your rebellion. Be terrestrial. Now, here's the bad news. You've come so far. And for some people, this is a lifetime journey, isn't it? But you've come so far and you kind of sit back and you think, I'm a better person. I'm, I've made some significant strides to overcome the animal. I don't do what animal, the animal in me wants me to do. I'm overcoming the animal. And it's like, I've made it. And Heavenly Father comes and says what? There's another change. We got a whole nother castle to go to. Now, do you see why there's a restoration? Because this is as far as Christianity knows. Christianity knows that they need to become a good person. And the other thing missionaries do, the other thing the restoration does is we're, we're halfway. We have a whole nother journey. We need to go from terrestrial to celestial. Now, what's on the outside of our chapels? What does that sign say on the outside of our chapels? Everyone welcome. Visitors welcome. Because everyone needs to make this change. But now we need a building just for this group. Where we can focus on this change. And so we need a whole new set of covenants in a whole new building. And that building is the temple. Does the temple on the outside say visitors welcome? Why? Because we don't like people? Is it because, is it because we're snobs and we're, you know, it's an elite club? No. Why don't we invite everyone into the temple? They're not ready for that. 
they're not ready for covenants to overcome the terrestrial until they overcome telestial. But those of you who are making significant progress through your chapel covenants to overcome the animal inside you are now invited to make a whole nother change. You are invited to go from terrestrial to celestial. Now, before we get into the covenants, let's talk about that change. James? Are you going to further your horse now? I am. Do you want to share it? Wait. Well, either or. Either or. Go ahead. Start us off. I just am thinking, you know, it'd be really dumb to hook up a horse to like a sleigh and a wild horse. Because if you just start off, you're like, hey, we got a wild horse, let's hook up the sleigh and, and try and go somewhere with it. That's a really bad idea. Yeah. Um, but it's like once you can get reins on and you can trust the horse and you know the horse trusts you, then you can keep moving forward. But if not, it doesn't make sense. So why would you like you can't take people that are at the celestial state and go, let's go talk about celestial because it's like overwhelming. They don't want to be there. They throw like I, 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 I. So that's why the that's why the temple doesn't say visitors welcome. It's a completely different process. And you need to have made this one before you start working on this one. But can I just tell you, these two are not the same. And if you don't understand the difference, you're missing the point of the temple. Every covenant, every ordinance, every symbolism, everything we do, from washings and anointings to wearing robes and putting on clothing and getting names, everything we do is to push you from terrestrial to celestial. Now, we are going to spend the rest of this class talking about those ordinances. But let's spend just the last few minutes clarifying what's the difference between these. Because I, I would bet most Latter-day Saints couldn't tell me the difference between terrestrial and celestial. Could you? I think you could tell me a whole lot of celestial things, right? And I think you could tell me a whole lot of celestial things. Could you tell me a terrestrial sin? Name something I do that's terrestrial. What? Judgment is an excellent one. So let's, but do you see, we don't have these conversations, do we? We don't have these conversations. We talk a lot about celestial things, but we don't talk a lot about terrestrial things. So before we can talk about the ordinances of the temple, we need to clarify, what do you mean by terrestrial sins, Lord? Could you help me understand what I'm trying to overcome when I go to the temple? And for, the ver for that, we're going to turn to the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this only takes a few minutes, so let's do this briefly. Let's do the Book of Mormon version of the Sermon on the Mount. So go to 3 Nephi 12. You'll know, you know you can find it in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, right? It's coming up and come follow me. But you can also find it in 3 Nephi 12, 13, and 14 because he repeats it in the Americas. And when he goes to the Americas, he adds one verse well, I think he said it in the, in the New Testament, but it was edited out. There's one verse that completely changes the scope 
of the Sermon on the Mount. There's one verse that comes before the Beatitudes. Turn with me to 3 Nephi chapter 12 and notice that find where the Beatitudes begin. This is where Matthew, Matthew just jumps right into the Beatitudes. Verse three is the first of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit who come unto me. But notice there's a preceding verse with a blessed in it. And it changes everything here. What? To whom is Jesus speaking? Look at verse three, sorry, verse two. To whom is Jesus delivering this sermon? See, blessed are they who shall believe in your words and come down into the depths of humility and be baptized, for they shall be visited. In other words, the Sermon on the Mount is for what group of people? This group, not that group. This group trying to become this group. The Sermon on the Mount will tell you about the change the temple is going to invite you to make. So let's see if we can see that. So the, what you've done so far is celestial to terrestrial. What I'm asking you to do now is terrestrial to celestial. So let's start with the verse 21 and 22. What was the old law to got, to, that got you to where you are? Don't kill. So tell me about celestial people. Probably the most celestial thing I could do is kill someone. There is nothing more celestial than killing them. And things like it, like abuse and harm and violence, to hit a child is one of the most celestial things I could possibly do. To strike my wife is a celestial act. Violence in any form is celestial. And so Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. That was the old law. Now, verse 22, he gives them a new law. Don't what? Don't think, don't want to do it. Don't let anger. Now, anger is where here? Anger is where here? It's in my hands. It's in my feet. Anger is where here? It's in my heart and my head. I'm not hurting you. I'm not hitting my wife, but I'm insulting her with my words. I'm thinking things I shouldn't think. Do you see the difference? So if I want to be celestial, I have to what? Control my inner self. The change to celestial isn't something I do. It's something I am. And I change inside of me. You see that? Let's do sexual sins. Okay. Verse 27 and 28. What's probably the other most celestial thing I could do? Violate laws of chastity. If I violate laws of chastity, people can't be a member of the church if they live in violation of the law of chastity. I went to Mexico on my mission. I became an expert on how to get married in Mexico. 
No one knew how to get married better than I did. They would come from all over the mission for me to help them get married because you can't join the church if you're living in violations of the law of chastity. You're living a telestial life. Honor the law of chastity by doing the right things. Now, once you're doing the right things, what's the next change? Verse 28. Think the right things. So to commit adultery is a telestial act. To think about it is a terrestrial act. But I'm not doing it, Lord. I know you're not telestial, but you're also not celestial. Stop wanting it. Stop lusting. Control which part of me? The inside. You see how it goes? You study this and you'll find them all over the place. Let's do, jump down to 38 and 39. 38 and 39. What was the old law? An eye for an eye, eye, tooth for a tooth. We're almost done. You here for foundations? Yeah, Yeah, we're almost done. Great. This is temples. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. In other words, these people go around poking out eyes and stealing teeth. They're just mean. But these people would never do anything to you unless you did it to me. That's fair. That's fair. That's equal. But it's also terrestrial. Terrestrial is to return evil for evil. Telestial is just be be evil. Terrestrial is I return evil for evil. If you do something to me, then I'm going to do something to you. That's terrestrial. Celestial is what? You do not do, you don't return evil for evil. When someone does evil to you, what do you do? You return now. Turning the other teeth doesn't mean I'm a victim or I'm, I'm, I'm going to be taken advantage of. Turn the other cheek means you return good for evil. Jean Valjean stole the golden candlesticks. That was an evil act. And the bishop could have sent him to prison. That would have been returning evil for evil. But what did that bishop do? He actually gave him the golden candle. Here, you need them more than I do. He returned good for evil. That is a celestial act. You have harmed me. I know a girl who was abused by her father. What's the terrestrial act? To To hate him. What's the celestial act? I will return goodness when you gave me evil. I will loose you from the debt. Do you see the celestial act? Let's do one more. Just the last one. Verse 43 and 44. We're in 3 Nephi 12, Rachel. 43 and 44. Who do celestial people love? Don't say they're, they're, that's terrestrial. Who do telestial people love? Only themselves. 
It's all about them. Who do terrestrial people love? People who love them. You're nice to me, I'm nice to you. You love me, you love me. You hate me, I hate you. <laughs> terrestrial people love the very people who don't deserve their love. It is terrestrial. If I love my wife when my wife loves me, when she is so sweet and wonderful and I'm sweet and wonderful to her, for my wife to love me when I'm being sweet is what kind of love? Terrestrial. It's when, when I've done something horrible to her and she says, this is the moment I choose to love you and not retaliate against you. That's celestial love. Now, do you see what the covenants of the temple are supposed to gear towards? This is what kind of change? Outer. A change of what I do. The change of what I do. So what will be the very first law of heaven? The law of obedience. Do what I ask you to do. What is this change? It's a change of what I am. What I am inside. And what will be the second law of heaven? The law of sacrifice. Do you see how it all fits? So this is why we need chapels. And this is why we need temples. So next week, we're going to go into the temple assuming we've made these changes. And we're going to start that journey of overcoming the terrestrial person inside me and becoming celestial and entering his presence and becoming all that he is. How much pride can you take into the celestial kingdom? Zip. Anyone there yet? I'm not. Well, I kind of am. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Guess what? You just got to the end of the line. I'm so much more humble than you. <laughs> Do you see where we're going? Do you see why we need temples? So I'm going to invite you to look at the ordinances of the temple as an invitation to become celestial. And the Lord's going to say, I'll help you. I'll show you what to do. Of that I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.